0: Welcome back, everybody! Another episode of Bootstrap Web. Mr. Brian Castle. It's Friday. It's February 2nd. February. Period. It's February. We're, yep, we're rolling
1: right along here. We are rolling. We're rolling. So uh, yeah, good to be back on the air. I'm uh, I'm in between the two big snow tiny comp trips that I go to every year around this time. Um, had a had a great week uh, up in instead of Vermont this year we went up to Montreal we went to montre
0: Blanc how's that uh,
1: that was a great time we had a beautiful uh, on mountain condo ski on ski off uh, really great um, group of you know most of the same same faces a couple new faces and uh, yeah just a great strategic geto- getaway good good fun although I have had one of the worst like weeks in in between since then, I I got shingles for the first time in my life, which has been rough, dude. That sounds like some old man, right? Like what? I don't know, I um. It's so weird because this year I also got into like like the best shape of my adult life. Uh, I'm I'm not 70 years old, and <laughs> I, I'm sure I carry some some stress <laughs> in in general at all times, especially you know on the business front. Let home has been fantastic uh this year, so it just but the stress seemed like normal, like not at nothing out of the out of, out of the norm, so it just came out of nowhere, maybe it was from the traveling or something, but i I got this shingles thing, and I didn't even know what it was for the first few days, and then it just got worse and worse, saw the doctor, and it's definitely shingles on my back, and then it turned into this like nerve pain that kind of traveled throughout my whole side of the body, and yeah, it's been. I don't, I so um,
0: yeah, pro tip, don't get shingles. Don't get shingles. It kind of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I'll follow that advice if I I will need to do some research on how one gets shingles so that I can follow the advice properly.
1: Yeah, it has to do with the if, you, if you've had the chicken pox or the vaccine when you were a kid, um, I guess it's in your system and then it could reactivate at any time, which it did for me. And then, um, yeah, and it's, it's weird because it's like, I'm not really sick. Like I was still even able to snowboard through it and stuff like that. Okay. But Um, and then I've been still working, although I took it on the really bad days. I took a day off and watched a movie with my kids and stuff, but, but just pain. It's just pain. It's, it's not stopped. like, yeah. It, and, it, and some days, the worst days, which I think are behind me now are, were are pretty unbearable. Like, <laughs> uh, not, not fun at all. And I kind of have like a high threshold for pain. Um, uh, but when I'm like complaining about, about pain, like, you know, it's
0: really bad. <laughs> Bro. Um, is, is this another argument for wearing gloves while you change diapers? Maybe, maybe Aaron that was good. on yeah. something? Yeah. Right. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear know. that. I hope, I hope you get better. Thank I think,
1: you. I think I'm on, I, th- I think I'm coming down and, and, uh, it's getting better. And, and I, I was actually 50, 50 on whether or not I'm even going to go to the next trip on Colorado, but. I think I'm I'm feeling good today and yesterday. So cool. Is uh, that next week? I'm going in two
0: days. I'm going on Sunday. Oh, okay, Sunday. okay. It's this weekend. So yeah. Yep. Well, I was doing the opposite. I was not in pain. I was gallivanting around Europe uh, last yeah, weekend. Yeah. My uh, my dad's seventieth was recently. We asked him, Dad, what do you want to do? You know, let's let's go big. He said, I want to go to Vienna. And we were Amazing. like, all right, I guess let's go to Austria for a weekend and just had a ball man it's so much fun it was, so as my two brothers myself so three three boys and, oh, and my that's dad great. so it's basically like a guys trip no pressure no guilt very yeah. little planning <laughs> what so yeah like like what,
1: what does a trip like this look like what's the uh, what's the itinerary here the itinerary is to make fun of each other
0: mercilessly at, at every opportunity <laughs> yeah you get like a like a nice hotel yeah we got a nice hotel and we basically had one cultural to do every day, mm-hmm. so you know. One day it's Schoenbrunn Palace, and then and then you're, and then we're done.
1: Uh, then the other go, day, go get
0: some steaks. Get, get some yes, a lot, a lot yeah. of schnitzel. I'm a schnitzel fan. We we right. we explored the schnitzel landscape for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cakes. My dad's into cakes, <laughs> so oh. it was basically <laughs> like get some breakfast, take a walk, get some lunch, do a cultural event, get some cake, go back to the hotel get some coffee and laugh and tell stories and then go to dinner and get more cake and then go to bed and just do that for like four days in a row. And that doesn't sound too different from my family vacations with my kids. Like we do,
1: we do like one thing in the morning and that's like all the energy we have. And then we think about like, all right, let's do lunch. Let's do dinner. The rest of the time we'll hang out. Oh, that's good
0: for you. Good for you. My my wife is much more, uh, uh, uh ambitious with her energy and the energy of others. You know, mm-hmm. she, she doesn't like to sit around she wants to go do stuff. Uh, which I respect yeah. because our idea, that idea helps of like me. going going and doing stuff is like finding things to go eat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, yes. So it was great. What a beautiful city! Uh, it was almost like the best version of Europe, right? Quiet. Sounds amazing. I clean, haven't been there. Like s- s- clean, so clean. It was weird. Like the buildings look like they've never been dirty. Like they must wash them like every few months. It's one of those like super modern European cities. Like no, no, it is preserved in time. Yeah. So historic. it is. Yes. Yeah. So it is. It is a modern, right? Like city, and everyone like just like classy, dressed up nicely. We would go. You know, we kind of had fun. We went. We went and had drinks at the Imperial Hotel. If I may tell a very quick story, mm-hmm. um, the reason we went to the Imperial Hotel. Is because sometime over the last few years, I saw a story about Simon Wiesenthal, right? The 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 famous uh, Jewish Nazi hunter, Simon Wiesenthal, who has like you know, museums named after him. So for Simon Wiesenthal's ninetieth birthday, his friends asked him what he wanted to do, and he said, "I want to go. I want to go have my birthday party at the Imperial Hotel." So I was like, "All right, let's go do that." The reason he wanted to go to the Imperial Hotel in Vienna is because that was Hitler's favorite hotel. And yeah. Hitler made plans to basically run the war from the Imperial Hotel. So he got permanent suites, him and Himmler, they got permanent suites there and were planning to like run the war from there. Didn't work out that way. Uh, so Wiesenthal wanted to basically go there and like celebrate and basically be able to say, hey, you yeah. know, even in the Imperial Hotel, the Jews can sing and dance even if Hitler is no more. So it was kind of Love this uh, triumph. thing. so. I took my brothers, and my dad there. Didn't tell them anything about that story and got there, sat down, dressed all nice, ordered some fancy cocktails and then we got to clink glasses to that, which was beautiful. That's that's great, yep. dude. So it was Beautiful. Yeah, so Sounds a ton, like fun. ton of history, great food, and yeah, came back nice and energized. And yeah, let let's get into stuff. I got I got some interesting things to talk about. Uh, I don't know what what you got. Going yeah, on me too. Time.
1: Um, the, the fun thing about Big Snow Tiny Comp, and this seems to happen every single year, we've been doing it over 10 years now, which is incredible. Uh, I always go into it thinking like I've got it all figured out for the upcoming year. Okay. (laughs) Like my plans, strategies, you're not going to change my mind on whatever it is. Well, that that was January. It's February now. So we, we got to move on. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I go into Big Snow with like, here's, here's the recap, here's my strategy going forward. And I end up coming out of big snow thinking like all right
0: that has changed (laughs) so so the big snow those events they usually have an impact on you they do yeah i think they do even even when i
1: don't think that they will they end up having some sort of impact on my i I think there's been not a major change but i i have recalibrated some of my plans for at least the immediate future so that's been interesting
0: Okay. Uh, I too have recalibrated my plans. So uh, let's, Mm -hmm. let's get into what, you know, what changes we're making. Um, let me know if you want me to to start on Yeah. Kick it off. Okay, cool. So anyone listening, uh, if you're not washing dishes or driving the car, next time you get a chance to get on the web and go to RallyOn.com, what you will see there is a very different looking website than, (laughs) than yesterday, right? We just launched this morning. So, what you'll see when you go to the site and what we are showing the world right now a uh, small sliver of the world that visits our website is that we are we are not showing the checkout product on our site we are exclusively showing our new offers product and right we started talking about this a little bit last week the offers product works with the merchants existing checkout and gets added to it. So our post purchase offers and our order bumps and our basically personalized offers get added to an existing site. So the reason the checkout is off the site entirely alongside what you see is actually a full website with a homepage that talks about two different products and then solutions pages, one for each, version of the product, the checkout version and the offers version. All of that is hidden and all traffic is going to just the offers page because we are trying to accelerate our learning in this experiment. And the way to do that is to basically just get as many people talking to us about the offers product without the checkout product even being a factor. So we know everyone that's signing up, everyone that's asking for a demo, everyone that's reaching out is entirely focused on the offers product.
1: Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm scrolling through it again now. I, I just saw it for the first time a few minutes ago. And um, yeah, I mean, the headline here is like, turn your checkout into a sales machine. And I'm seeing a lot of, what I, what I love in general is shots of the product. You know, we, we see an iPhone showing the checkout, showing these order bumps, um, you know, post-purchase offers. As I was saying earlier, I think that the headlines and the pictures like tell do tell me like, what it is like it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
0: And you'll um, see it's you know for for a company that's been around for a couple of years, it's really thin, and that's you know that's I, I didn't want to wait to launch the site until it was totally done. I just wanted to launch it now to get as much feedback as possible. You know, you say it, it, it's thin.
1: I know, I know. To you, it feels like it's there's not much here, but I think for a fresh viewer, to me, it doesn't look all that right. different from from like a typical
0: like clean, modern, like SaaS product website. Yeah, um, the, the opposite side of thin is clear. <laughs> it's dead clear. It's like, this is what yeah. we do. Are you interested? Click here. So next the, up will be a price. The thing that page. I'm seeing,
1: yeah, I was just gonna say, so like the, the the get started call to action, it just leads to a lead form yes, a demo, to request a demo. A demo, a demo. Request. Yes. Um, there's no pricing info.
0: No, we need to do, we need to add the pricing page. And even though we'll have a pricing page, we will not be giving pricing information. Mm-hmm. Um, and the page that I want to add next is a little bit more, so what you're seeing is the product as seen by the shopper. I now want to show the product for the merchant. The backend, how it works, how you build a, an offer, what the recommendation engine looks like. So that's like the next page, and then as soon as that's done, we need a middle of the funnel uh, uh, entry point, right? Here's this uh, case study. And give us your email, just so it's something in between visiting and requesting a demo that there's an intermediary step. And what we're doing- I have a, I have a question about the pricing and the demo. Sure. Um,
1: so with the new strategy um, of selling this this offer's product, is it still all about driving demos? Or is there going to be some shift in terms of like there there are going to be some like sort of like self-serve- customers that you then farm leads from if they're larger to go to a demo
0: so this product for the first time offers us the ability to go self-serve right it's not nearly as complicated as the checkout which is a disaster in in being self-serve
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't have any plans to go self-serve anytime soon I, mm-hmm. I actually so I, I'll talk more about this over the next few weeks as I learn more but let me just allude a little bit to the to, to the packaging strategy, I think would be the right way to put it. I'm trying to set up a scenario where we lower the bar to working with us as close to the floor as possible Th- that maybe that's not accurate because well, for our pro- for our customer segment, right? And what that means for us is a small targeted, get enough skin in the game to get this thing off the ground. In our world, that is not 50 bucks a month. That's something in the thousands of dollars. But three, four, 5,000, something under 10,000 bucks is one of those decisions that our customer segment doesn't need approval for. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking to the marketing department, they can just say, cool, here's the credit card, right? There's no, so we're trying to keep the decision process in that realm of no approval required. And my real goal in that is to have a a straightforward high velocity sales process that then is able to pay for our marketing expense. Just just play this out with me for a sec. Let's just say, for example, five people sign up in a given month for what is effectively like a proof of concept, right? Let's just call it 5,000 bucks. So 5000 bucks is the type of decision our customer segment does not really need approval for. They can just decide, "Okay, that upside is big enough and the downside is so limited and you're telling us it's only a few days of work here and there and you'll help us build the the first offer sets. That's mm-hmm. digestible to that customer segment. If five sign up in a given month at 5000 bucks a piece, that 25000 bucks, I want that to pay for our acquisition, for our customer acquisition. Yep. so ideally it becomes a scenario where we don't know if all five of those are going to become great customers but if two or three of those become good customers and a good customer being like you know a, a larger annual contract in the 10 20 30 40 fifty thousand dollar range if we don't know how many of those are going to become a good customer as long as the new customers are paying for our customer acquisition then we potentially have a bit of an infinite infinite flywheel So that's the type of scenario that I'm trying to set up, where if we have our SDRs, we have our AE, and we have a free trial that's paid, right? It's like a limited trial, but we do need skin in the game. We need them to put up a few thousand bucks. Mm -hmm. Ideally, that can pay for our customer acquisition cost. And then we can just hit the gas on that. So it's a it's a very different model from long sales cycle on the checkout that leads into a fifty hundred thousand dollar agreement. It's just a yeah. it's a different model. And by
1: not showing any pricing, you're still indicating that like like they're, the 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 really small merchants are just gonna not go through it. And then the um yeah like like the assumption is like they. And anyone, even on the, at the five thousand dollar level, will, will want to get a demo.
0: Yes. That that's how we want it to feel right now. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't want it to get into the realm of like, but this is comparable to a piece of software that I pay a hundred bucks a month for. Why wouldn't I just do that? We we don't want yeah. it to feel comparable to that. That's a bad yeah. comparison for us and, and for and for the product. And so this just launched today. This launched today. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, the goal is to just get into as as many conversations as possible and make this offer. Uh, Today was the first time we had a call with someone with this proof of concept in mind, with the site different. So like we are officially (laughs) underway. Nice, dude. Yeah. So, you know, over the next few weeks, my hope is to get feedback and see if our first stab at the price and how long the proof of concept should be. And if this makes sense and if a merchant even wants to do that, or they want to pay up front for the, like, who, you know, there's a whole bunch of mm-hmm. guessing there, a lot of, a lot of unknowns. Yes. And we're kind of going and saying, this is all a guess. It's an educated stab. Let's not drive ourselves crazy on exactly what these things should be. Cause we, there's no way we have it all right. So let's just, mm-hmm. let's just go. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it. we're like, going back toward like start starting again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean like that's, that's the thing. Like even, you know, I, I think that what this is maybe one of the absolute hardest things about any startup trajectory is once you're over a year or two into something, which means if you've lasted that long, you do have some customers. Like it's, if you know, right if it's if it's a complete failure you would have been done long time before before the two-year point so but get into two years in and it hasn't really clicked and then making a big shift like this and i've gone through it obviously Mm -hmm. with clarity flow that is the hardest thing to like pull the trigger on and like just go do or or at least and like you know even even though this is clearly an experiment that you're talking about. Like oh. you changed the homepage of <laughs> yeah, your yeah, business. Yeah. Like it's, a... it's it's not just like, let's just put something live for five days
0: and see what happens. No, like, this is, no. The, it's an experiment, but it's a long-term like bet here. Yeah, you know? last week it was just a homepage. And as we kept talking about it, we were like, we don't, because we started to get into the muddied middle and a, a merchant would come into our sales process and we would basically say, so we have this checkout product but we also have this other thing, which one's right for you. And that's just never gonna work as well as this what we do. That's right. Yep. So we just said, you know what, let's just take that landing page that we launched and just make that the homepage and let's just let it run with it so we learn faster.
1: I, th- I think it just takes a level of like really stepping back. And this is where things like, not just mastermind groups, but I think like doing trips and and talking to advisors and, and mulling something over for for months at a time and sure. starting to connect the dots. Where you get to a point where it's like, all right, we have some revenue, we've got some customers, some people, a few people are early, people mm-hmm. are like excited, but let's rise above all that and be like, what if our whole world changed? And like, because because there is some friction that I don't want to see in this business right now. What if what if we just remove that and think about
0: our world completely differently, yeah. and try try that on and see what happens, you know? If if I thought about this, when I thought about something like this months ago, I would expect, I don't know if you can hear that insane. I do. You, yeah. oh, okay. I, I'm having construction done at the house. I'm just going to apologize to everyone. Maybe, right. maybe closing the door will help. But I was like, is somebody like riding a motorcycle outside your place? Or there, uh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Um, so thinking about it, like putting myself a few months back, I thought I would have more emotional like distress because, right, let's be, let's be honest with myself here. I want to pursue changing the e-commerce market through checkout and payments and liberating that part of the stack from platforms. That goes back to my Shopify experience, it turned into ideology. It turned into a belief system and all the things that are attached to that in terms of like self-identity and wanting to do all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel almost no emotional connection to it. I'm just like yeah. – this, this. I just cannot be ideological about it. You're like this is what the market wants right now. I yeah. could be stubborn and have things like just not be as good as they can be or just – just move, and there's, you know, the, I, yeah. I I think
1: that at, at first it's sort of like getting over the fear of making such a big drastic change in your business when some early things might have been working. Um, but then I don't know about you, but it's it sounds like it. But but like for me, then you reach the next phase, which is like excitement about like all right, this th- this can this has the potential to change everything, right? Like it there's. First, like getting over the fear of like, am I am I gonna fuck something up because I had some things working but not everything working, and I'm abandoning that to, okay, let's shift to this new worldview, this new sales model, this new product model, um, and then it's like, all right, now now we're gonna execute on that, and now it's like, how, let's just do our best, and that that gets me excited. Like, wh- what's the best
0: version of this new worldview, right? Um, yeah, it, it is. It is very much the opposite of like being like emotionally attached to it. It actually, I'm actually super motivated and super excited, and I'm I'm up late working on like ad copy mm-hmm. because it does feel like this. Uh, it's like a renewal of optimism because we had this breakthrough. All of a sudden, we can offer something different. Then all of a sudden, you start to look at the whole opportunity differently. Right, I'm looking at integration partners differently. <laughs> I'm looking at a uh, product feature roadmap. Um, like, right, what makes sense to us is to add in like like AI-powered recommendations instead of the merchant mm-hmm. building things on their own. It's like, well, give us your order history and let us run that through some ML and come up with the offers directly ourselves without you intervening. Yeah. Uh, so all of a sudden, new stuff starts to open up and it gets, gets exciting. Nice, dude. So I'll, I'll report back uh, on on how the first few w- weeks are going.
1: It'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I want to hear more about like your next steps in the experiment. Like what what do you what are like the sub tiny experiments that you do next? The pricing and the offers. And...
0: Yeah, what we got right, what we got wrong. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Good
1: stuff. Um, before I get into the more big picture stuff, I mean, I'll, I'll do a clarity flow update. January was, I think one of the best growth months that we've seen yet in the business. Um, feels, feels good, uh, especially coming on the month after we shipped Clarity Flow Commerce. I think that definitely had a had a big piece of it. Like that drove most of it because A, I think more customers were converting with it in the product than without. And also a big chunk of the MRR growth was lower plans upgrading expanding into the higher plan, which gives them access to clarity for commerce. Um, That's interesting. feedback. That's been an interesting thing. Um, I think another piece of the growth has been our we've been doing cold email outreach. And that's that's working somewhat well, Um, we we, we're definitely driving uh, a a handful of extra leads and paying customers than we otherwise would have. And that's, that's been a nice, it was such a grind and such a huge project to get that built out and the system and the, and the all, all the processes for getting that running the right way. But I think the key to this success with that, because I've, I've experimented with cold outreach in multiple businesses before, including zip message before clarity flow and audience ops and all these different ones. And I think the key difference in seeing a higher rate of replies is just the targeting and making sure that you a have an offer, have, have a product that is so, directly valuable to a very specific type of person um, or job title or something and then really doing a lot of extra work on targeting that list and making sure that every person receiving it like is your ideal target customer that like believe it or not like that's when things like cold email outreach actually can work i mean that being said like it's still not like just like every other marketing experiment that i've spent lots of time and effort and lots of dollars on I still, even though it's driving more customers, it's, it still doesn't feel like it was actually worth the the amount of dollars spent on it because it's just not enough. It's just not, I have come to the conclusion after, after the past three years of, of trying to really accelerate growth on Clarity Flow that like, <laughs> think what you will about this, but like, I just don't think that you can buy like, distribution you have to either have an, an inroad with a distribution advantage and or have a huge wave of natural market demand that's going to drive really accelerated growth and if you don't have those things i think it just comes down to product like you can you can still win with a really good product it's just going to take a lot more years of very slow steady growth of, of ramping it up and that's that's just the reality that i'm in i think that's the reality that most saas businesses are and and they can be frankly deceived into like you have to spend a lot more money and time on marketing when you can't just make you you, you can't just expect to spend x thousands of dollars and triple your top of funnel like it's unless you have again like a distribution advantage or a wave of demand in my view so yeah uh, i don't it, like cuz like even with that like we we grew and all the growth comes from the product being complete and word of mouth, like good coaches refer other good coaches to our product, and retention and conversion and and we we get an organic love and even like SEO all the SEO stuff we get it comes to our homepage and a, and a few strategic pages not not the thousands of dollars I've spent on content marketing <laughs> you know. Um, so it does, it does give you paper, pay-per-click thousands of dollars in experiments, like no, no customers. You yeah. Know. We, we we've talked about this, even it, even integrations, I know it's different for different businesses, but like thousands of dollars of dev work. And it doesn't drive customers. It's word of mouth because the product fits that's, that's the thing that actually grows it. It's just, at, at, at that point you need the, the formula is you need time. You need to be able to survive the years of growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a little depressing because it feels like not nothing works. There, there is a subset of product type and team type that does know how to do it. It, it is an exceptional, rare thing. It's why some you know B two B SaaS marketers. Uh, are so rare and so highly sought after that know how to do it. It is, it is very, very difficult. This
1: might be a bit of a spicy take and it's not that the, that those high, high value marketers are not talented because they absolutely are. But I feel like every time I really think about companies that have a great marketer behind them, I can still point to a product that is fundamentally in such high demand that it's about the product and the offer first. And then the marketing throws fuel on that fire. Okay. You, I agree. you can't put you, you can't put a world class marketer on just any product and expect them to you can't grow SEO traffic if the search volume is not there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like it's yeah, you know, it's just yeah, not gonna it's, work. It's almost like the marketing has to do the product justice. Like if the product is good enough that it's people are signing up and staying, then then it does deserve to get more attention and more eyeballs and be more places and yeah. it's not a direct response like you put in this much money, this like I I think that some sometimes like world
1: Sometimes like world class Marketers or founders who are world-class marketers, I feel like they get, again, not to take anything away from them and their talent, but I think that their actual talent, in my view, is identifying the right fundamental idea for the whole business and the product in the first place mm-hmm. That that enables them to use their marketing tools that they know how to use. It was the decision to do that business instead of... Sure. The thousand other business ideas that are that don't have the potential to meet the demand. It's it's the it's identifying the demand before before being a quote unquote good marketer. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Right. Then then you can, right. You can do the PR. You can do the advertising. You can do the marketing partnerships. You can do podcasts. You can give that feeling of being everywhere, and that can accelerate adoption, but only because it's it's already it's already working. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. Which is um, that's. that's that's a tricky uh, conclusion to come to.
1: I mean, that's just been my experience and, uh, but it's, it's been good to see clarity flow grow. And, and, and so that, that whole rant there leads me to my Mm -hmm. strategy for 2024, which is, you know, we're going to keep this cold email outreach running. It's a nice kind of low cost thing at this point to run. And it, and it adds a few, uh, customers in the door. Um, I feel like we have a pretty good performing marketing site, but I'm but I am cutting costs in 2024 because the business has to become profitable eventually and and I need to, you know, allocate blah 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 a lot of stuff there but the the main strategy in 24 is like instead of investing in more expensive marketing experiments that that aren't going to pay for themselves put those dollars into customer success and so um uh cat the person who worked with me on audience ops for many years uh is going to be rejoining me pretty soon i was pretty surprised that um i was pretty surprised and excited that that she's available for this but um uh starting next week she's going to come on board and, and that's going to be like the one investment this year in clarity flow is like let's go all in on customer success and customer and like conversion and retention and just i'm i'm just not caring so much about trying to like grow that top of funnel. I, because again, I've just come to the conclusion that like the way that this business keeps growing is converting more of our trials into customers because we get some baseline of organic trials again, because of product, word of mouth, Google search SEO, the product has a viral loop as well. Um, communities of coaches talking about it and, um, I have this – I always have this feeling of like most of our trials are coaches and they are really perfect fits for our product. And it pains me to see like a really good fit coach just not convert. Like there's just no excuse in my view why our product should not – because if they were excited enough to organically come to our site and start the free trial and go through our videos and try to set it up themselves and they send a bunch of email support questions – And then they still don't, don't go on to convert. Like something happened. Something happened. Um, And so I feel like there are way too many of those who should have been perfect fits that if I had the time to like really get on multiple calls with them or, or really do like product workshops or, you know, another another thing I want to launch soon this year is like a paid onboarding service for, for coaches um, where they will get, you know, multiple weeks of like, let's work together and set up your coaching programs on Clarity Flow. These are all things that I think will really, really help the business, but I can't give it that level of hours myself anymore. I just, the business won't support, it has to be, I'm I'm bootstrapping now. So I I can't just put, throw myself on that job for the rest of the the year. So that's where um, Kat comes in to to be that success person. And uh, I'm just really excited to like, just do everything we can to, to be like best in the market on customer success. And like, you're gonna come in here and you're gonna get like stellar support and talk to someone and we're gonna work together and your coaching business is gonna be amazing on clarity Flow,
0: you know? So if, if you boil it down to just the numbers, the, the goal of Cat's role is to maximize the conversion, conversion. Of, of, of trial to paid by, yeah. by basically but, paying more attention and, and yeah. understanding them better.
1: Yeah, that and and like being available for calls and doing and taking the customer support load off of my plate. And my role is still product. I, me and the developer work on the on improving the product, um, and that's been fun. Now, now that we've shipped all the big features, now we're getting back around to all the little UX things to make the product easier to use and less frustrating and things like that. Um, so that's where I'm. You know, I I'm re- I'm reducing my time on Clarity Flow from like a hundred percent of my time down to like twenty percent so that I can. Rebuild my my other portfolio of of things, um, uh, but with that twenty percent, I need to be on product with the developer and not customer support calls. But the but what the business needs is customer support and customer success, and that's where her role comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that adding a paid version of that will be an interesting uh, lever that we can try this year. Um, yeah. I, the other cool thing is that she's a content person. She's a writer, content creator. So when it comes to content, quote unquote, content marketing, if you will, again, like I I just, I've tried so many years and thousands of dollars on like SEO-based content. And like, that's just not the game anymore. Like as that has changed. It's not like, um, what we actually need on content is like content that helps our customers be successful. Not just documentation, but like, workshops and mini courses and you know things like that and that that's she could she could help out with that kind of stuff
0: too okay you got some experiments coming up too yeah um, um so i i what else you got? i want to give a report from from venture land <laughs> things things are not good in venture land uh things got very real very quick and a lot of uh, my friends who have raised money from venture are in a similar predicament. The, there, there was a tweet by Gary Tan recently that talked about uh, the bar for Series A. It's, it's so high right now that people who have, by all measures... Except for venture <laughs> measures, have amazing businesses. I'm thinking of a friend in particular who grew very nicely from uh, millions in ARR to more millions in ARR. Um, the market right now is is a bit is a bit uh, I don't know how to say this uh, selective, but like to an extreme. So businesses that, from the outside, if you looked at the numbers you would think well that's you know that's an amazing business that you have going and it's growing that quickly that's great you should be able to raise money especially if you've already raised money uh founders are finding that when they go to market things look a lot worse than expected you know we we are we are all uh, a bit like crazy on the optimistic st- scale you know entrepreneurs yeah just to begin with are optimistic uh, people who raised money in 2019, 20, 22, and so on. Like, we know it's harder now. I don't think people realize how much harder. Uh, and what that is doing is creating a lot of very weird, uh, difficult decisions to be made.
1: Uh, Why is it hard,
0: really? Like, what what is it? What's
1: the feedback from VC? What are they looking for? Yeah.
0: So they, they still need, the math is still what it is. You still need a few of your companies to have very, very large returns. And there's some there's some uh, residue, some hangover from valuations. So companies that raise in 2020, 21, 22, uh, less than so 22, if you raise at a pretty high valuation, you need to grow into that valuation, but the multiples are completely different. So you have to grow significantly more. And then when you go to market, investors still have the same math on their side of things. They still need huge hundred X plus. And if you come to them and you're doing 5 million in ARR and you've been around for three or four years and you went from 3 million to 5 million last year, you don't seem likely. To get to 100 million in arr in the next two or three years you're just not on that trajectory your growth curve is already slowing down mm-hmm. at a few million arr you are not a good bet yeah. for it's that insane or- oh. to,
1: to, to be going from like 5 to 10 or 10 to 20 million and that's just not good enough
0: right that's um, kind of the bar that is wh- where where the, then it gets into like margin and But even even that. All right. So if that's if that's the, the the
1: worldview of VC in 2024, what what qualifies for that? What are they biting on on that? Is it is it AI startups? Is it what is it?
0: Yes. So it is it is breakout incredible growth, and AI companies are, are getting that, and some other software companies that they're, they're still out there. They're still the super unbelievable growth, and that's what everyone clamors over and fights over. But, you know, and and I'm not a VC. I I don't know nearly as much about their universe. It's almost like we're extrapolating as founders. But on the founder side of things is where things get pretty tricky, you know, and that's who we sympathize with and who we think about. So if you're running a company that does a few million dollars in ARR, uh, a lot of founders are starting to come to the conclusion that they, they they don't want to be in that position anymore. Right. Yeah. You, you, you kind Makes of sense to me. <laughs> right. If, if you're at 5 million ARR, let's say you're right on the verge of profitability. You look out in the market. Nobody wants you, you can't raise series B because you, you're not hitting those, those metrics. If you raise a series A extension, you're just taking on more preference stack, right? You, you, more money that you have to pay back before you make any money yourselves as a team. Maybe the valuation stays about the same, but it, it's just that much harder to get over the the hurdle of of paying back the, the the preferred shareholders. And you look around and you're like, well, that's not why I got into this. Mm-hmm. I got into this to fly and have that the valuation grow really quickly and, you know, basically get extremely rich within a, a few years because of the the math involved in the ability for the valuation of a venture. Uh, funded company to grow. Now, if you're looking at that path and you're saying, well, the smart thing for me to do is to get profitable. If you're, if you're at 5 million ARR, you can probably find a way to cut yourself toward profitability, mm-hmm. right? You look at your cash. You could, you could make that work, especially okay? if you're growing,
1: especially if, if, you're, growing. if you're growing to, to more millions in, M- in ARR, like to me, like, and not, not like I know <laughs> what it's like to, to, to run a SaaS business at that size, but like, it's not like an agency where you have to double and triple and quadruple your your workforce every time you add a million in ARR. It, yes, yeah, but here's it's SaaS profitable, so you can scale. You can grow a little bit on the team, but
0: technically, if say, if you want to just grow a quote unquote good business, right, let, not a VC business, right. Let's just say you break even. Let's say you're at five million ARR and you're break even. You've got two or three million bucks in the bank. If you go toward profitability, you're making the devil's bargain. You're saying, okay we're going to get profitable. We're going to start making hundred thousand dollars a month in profit. We're going to get toward a million dollars in profit per year, right? Pretty damn good. You're doing that by cutting back and letting the growth get ahead of the expenses. And when you do that, you're consciously making the bargain to grow even slower. And then you get into this cycle of, well, now we're off the track. We, we can't, we've already raised, call it 10, 15, $20 million. We, yeah, but like, we've already just, put just, ourselves just a, just a, on the venture track and now we no longer make sense for it.
1: I just, again, I want to pause. This gets back to my rant, my lifelong rant against marketing, I guess. Uh, okay, okay. But if, if you are already growing from, let's say, 6 million to 9 million in, in, in the course of a year sure. or, or more, the fact that you're cutting back on, on continuous growth of your team does not mean you're going to stop growing. It means you, you like you you already sure. have a product Literally. in the market that is working. It, like you're going to grow this, slower. The sense that like just because you're you're not raising more millions in, in investment and you're not like tripling your your
0: headcount, like to me headcount does not equal growth. <laughs> like uh, not directly, but there's a correlation to how many people you're paying to do outbound and do sales and do biz dev. So if you if you cut back, then you're not going to stop growing entirely, but you will grow slower. So let's just right play it out. You're a founder. You own 30% of the company at that point in time. You are looking at 5 million ARR. You think, okay, I can get profitable by this year so we can make it. We don't need any more outside investment. So in the next year, we'll get to a million dollars in annual profit. Then the next year we'll get to two, then the next year we'll get to four. So now you're looking at three or four years into the future, you'll have a business that does a few million dollars in profit and nobody wants to buy it. And what is your 30% worth? And is, does that make sense for you to invest another three or four years into? You don't own the business. It's not your three or $4 million. Yeah, in that,
1: that's the thing, That's the trade-off that, that you end up hitting when, when you've taken any level of, of investment is that you, you know, uh, an exit, like the exit math gets right. difficult.
0: Play it out. $3 million in profit annually. Awesome. Right. Let's say you're doing that off of 10 million in ARR who, how much is someone going to pay to to buy your company? $30 million. You raise at a $50 million valuation. If you've already raised 20 million, you got to pay the investors back the 20 million before you make a dollar. Yeah. So the incentive just starts to get wacky Mm -hmm. and everyone's trying to figure out what, what do I do with this? Uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. I, I, my instinct is go toward profitability, build in sustainability, be patient. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what product you're going to come up with. You don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 that's, I, that's my take, but not everyone, here's the thing. Me too, because it's like, even if, I know like if, if your
1: company has started on the VC track, but then you sort of shift into the more profitable track and you're growing a, you know, a multi eight figure uh, business here like i i do think that there are going to be plenty of very great outcomes that that's, you can reach in the next five that's years, my hunch you know? too i think what
0: really and by the way
1: it's a great business right, to, what, to work in
0: i think what really makes uh like the the difference there is if you enjoy the product that you built and the team that you built because then five more years sounds like, hey, I, I like what I'm doing. I think we're on to something, you know, but if you are looking around saying, I, I'm kind of starting to look elsewhere. And this AI thing looks really interesting. And I don't love this market anymore, because I just got into it because it was hot. That's when people are like, 5 million ARR, cool, I'm going to shut down the business and I'm moving but, on my life. And that's I've seen it happen all over. Yep. Yeah, you see, like, like, why would this? Why would this SaaS company over here just like shut
1: down when they actually have customers? It's like, oh, because they took all that all that VC. And it doesn't yes. make
0: sense. for them. Yes. And, and the people Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the saying I'm, I'm, I'm not into quoting Paul Graham these days. He's not, not my favorite person anymore. Um, Mm. uh, but it was basically like, you know, startups kind of end when, when their leaders kind of are done, they don't want to do anymore, they give up Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call that. If they don't want to do it anymore, that's kind of when, if you really just keep going, sure, you can run out of money, but some people just keep going anyway with with the same idea. Yeah. Anyway, that's my report from from VC land. Think things are weird. Yeah, man. Well,
1: I mean, over here in uh, bootstrapper land, <laughs> uh, you know what? I I still am of the mindset of because you know I'm doing as I said, going between these big snows. It, it it gives me a a good opportunity to 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 step at back at a high level and, and think through. Where I'm at in my whole career, I feel like I'm in some sort of like midway point where it's like, I, I've, I've had multiple years of trying different approaches to entrepreneurship. I went I went through a bunch of years where I had sort of a portfolio of like a couple profitable, bootstrapped like stair stepping up different uh, businesses, and then I and then I tried a couple of years of just going all in, selling off all the assets, going all in on one, taking a bit of investment on one. As 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 we know from listening to this podcast, it, you basically know the the story and um, I like I'm I'm now of the mindset of like I think it was be- for me it was better in the portfolio bootstrapped self funded. Not go all in on one thing. Not be super urgent about having to hit growth targets in order for this thing to survive mm-hmm. uh, by by X date. Um, there was a time, and then, and I'm working to get back to this now, uh, going forward, where I could invest a month or two or three months or six months on a business and and get customers and build it and hire a person or two to run the processes that I put in place or automate and have some passive income, whatever that business might be, and then hop over to here and and, and sidestep to another a uh, business idea or product or service or consulting and make a little bit of money from there. And then, and then that thing has some legs that can run for a few months with a team member or two or a VA or automated sales. And then I hop back to that and, and have some, have some, uh, you know, give, give that a bit more love. And, and, and like these little bootstrap uh, portfolio of bootstrapped companies do not necessarily decline during the months that I stop working on them because I, they're automated. They're, they're, I've delegated the work. I have processes that keep, keep those revenue channels running. And I still believe that very good products with good customers can still continue on and not die. Even when I'm giving it like 20% instead of a hundred percent of my effort day to day or week to week, you know? Um, uh, and that's just how I've, I'm operating now going forward. That's sort of like my operating principle on this whole thing. And um, and so, you know, I, I was talking a lot about like the YouTube um, endeavor that I, that I started. I'm, I'm still going to be kind of doing a bit of that, but I think I'm going to, I probably bit off more than I can chew there, getting a, a bit too ambitious. And I, I'm stepping back and I'm just thinking about multiple ideas for business revenue streams that I can start to I don't know exactly when in 2024 or next year um, when these might come into play or come into the mix, but I have like multiple ideas and I'm already doing a bit of consulting. I have an idea to do more of like a product development studio, maybe aimed at large audience influencers who want to sell a SaaS product to their audiences. I've been talking to a few people in that realm about doing larger projects and sort of an interesting studio model there, um, like product development studio, uh, doing a bit of product development strategy, even developing other product ideas as part of my portfolio, and, and then continuing to you know, uh, do some product work on clarity flow. That's sort of how it's coming together. And then like taking learnings from these as I'm learning from product, um, hmm. getting into new technologies and building products, taking what I learn and teach it on the YouTube channel and, and, and kind of as like a, as one thing in the mix, getting back to actually investing some time in audience growth again through YouTube, but not going all in and not going all in on anything. Not as the audience
0: growth as the, the end point or Yeah. Just, primary. just
1: keep it, keep it going a little bit more than I have in, in recent years um, especially with YouTube. Uh, but the whole point now for me is like, I'm not all in on anything. There's nothing that's a hundred percent. I'm, I'm totally fine with 20%, 30%. At at times I'll be 80, percent hundred percent on things, especially in the startup phase. And like of all these different ideas, I have a few that I want to work on first and ones that, that I might do later, but, I'm not all in on anything. I, 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 It's not worth it to me to bet entire years of my career anymore on a single product idea. And especially if that means it's gonna be unprofitable for a period of time um, or or that I need to invest or raise investment, like I'm, I'm done with that game. So okay, the, the bootstrapper game is cobbling it together.
0: Right, you put a, a portfolio. A pro- you put a portfolio,
1: like most bootstrappers either have a job or consulting. And and then they do a, a product on the side. In in my experience, it's it's actually been more effective to, yeah, do some consulting when you need to here and there. But like you can still build cash flowing, profitable businesses that are actually assets that could eventually be sold. Like like I did with Audience Ops, um, and uh, so yeah, I, that that's sort of the I, I probably rambled a bit there. But that's the shift in mindset that I have now coming out of big snow. Whereas going in, I was like, I think I need to go all in on audience and YouTube and courses and, and all that. And I think I sort of overcorrected in like getting too excited about that. And now I'm like, all right, let let me just, I I know how to build businesses that make money. (laughs) Let's just build some of them. and, Mm -hmm. and, And, and also just less about like, like again, I'm not going all in for a whole year or years at a time. So I'm so I'm thinking much more in short term increments. Like I'm only really focused on the next like 90 days. Like what are the big projects that I want to be working on in the next 90 days? That's all I kind of care about at this point. You know?
0: Yeah. If if one of them pops off and and rightfully commands more of your attention, you can yeah. figure that out then. I it will be very interesting to see what happens with Clarity Flow over the next six months. I mean, looking at the MRR graph,
1: like it, it especially like the the new, it's been, the, the MRR has been slow because we still churn off what we call legacy customers, people who are around since the zip message days. But the majority of our customers at this point and, and MRR is from new customers who've discovered us after we became Clarity Flow. And that graph is up and to the right. Um, so the conclusion is like, that graph just needs more years to grow it's it's not it's not up to a level that that can be profitable. It's not even close, but it's it's up and to the right so in right so, direction so so we need so we need to just make sure that that we are converting as many of those trials as and we need to make sure that we're continuing to make the product better we We've shipped the big pieces, and now this year on the product, just me and I've cut down to one developer is. UX improvements, you know, small, seemingly small, but like high impact little things that, that make the product better. You know, um, that's the kind of stuff that like people get less frustrated, less support. They stick around retention, you know?
0: Cool. Well, we'll, we'll see where it goes. My, my last question to you before we call it a day on a scale of one to 10, how badly do you want a vision pro? Oh, dude. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want version one. I could,
1: I, I expect I'll probably buy like maybe version three
0: in a couple of years. You believe I, I'm super, it though, not, not like a stupid little gimmick thing. hundred percent. I, yeah, I
1: I think it's going to be massive. I think yeah. it's going to be huge. I, I think version one is probably mostly terrible and not worth the price tag, but the excitement over what it means and the spatial computing and the entertainment value and the work value it's, it's clearly going to be awesome. In, yeah. And it's, it's good to
0: see companies. Um, right. It is, it's like an operating system, right? So you, spatial you, computing, it's, it's going right. to be a new
1: frontier. Really? But
0: you need, you need people to hook into it. You need, you need Netflix on board. Yeah. You need video game. You know, you need developers to kind of get on board and that's, I'm that's a been... big
1: fan of the podcast uh, called dithering. Okay. Which is, it's actually the one paid podcast It's five bucks a month from, um, John Gruber and Ben Thompson. So two, like, really, my, my two favorite, like, tech journalists. Uh, they, they do this twice-a-week podcast, 15 minutes, just talking about, like, the big um, tech news of, of the week. And obviously they've, they've done a lot of coverage of, of the Vision Pro. They had a really good one that I think came out today. Um, talking about, and I completely agree with this take, I'm so excited that Apple still shipped this thing. Okay, <laughs> you know, and and that that Apple, this what are they the most pop, uh, valuable company? Them and Microsoft, yep. one and two, right? Yeah. Like, uh, they still took a huge bet. It. it I mean, it, it's not like they're betting. It's not going to be a huge. Revenue driver for them now, but it will be in the future, I believe. It's the first and,
0: real product bet since Jobs, right? It's, it's yeah,
1: I mean, this is a this honestly is like a Steve Jobs move that Tim Cook and and I think this is the kind of thing that like you got to give a ton of respect to Tim Cook. Like, this is the CEO's call to be like, we're doing this, it's it's a little out of the left field, people are gonna probably. Hate it in different ways and we're doing it anyway. And we're shipping it with bugs. We're shipping it with shortcomings. You got to put a battery in your pocket to use this thing. Like that's ridiculous, <laughs> but they but they're, they shipped it anyway. You know, like for Apple to do that, I think is awesome. And, and it's pretty exciting.
0: I like it. Yeah. yeah. The, the <laughs> fo- the, and the FOMO, you know, is strong, which is important for adoption. Almost like the, remember how Tesla came out with like the unaffordable, yeah, exactly. The, the sports version, and then it made its way mainstream. And then at some point you're like, oh, shit, I can afford a Tesla.
1: I was, and I was hearing these guys, Gruber and Thompson, talking about like the first version of the iPhone, if you remember that. Um, okay. I think I probably got like the second or third version. Um, but the first one was terrible. Like, Really? Oh, dude. I mean, so in so many ways. Like, first of all, the first version did not have an app store. There was no app store. Um, the other thing that they were talking about, and I, oh, I, I sort of remember this in the earliest version. When you scroll a web page on the first iPhone, it they didn't have the tech enough to uh, advanced enough to be able to render the entire web page. So if you scroll down, oh, it would wait. <laughs> you would see like a checkered background before they could even load the rest it's of the web page in. into into memory. Yeah. Um, I just
0: think of the Apple experience, but that's, no, like, that's yeah, like but
1: they shipped it anyway. Right. And then, and then it became the iPhone <laughs> like best product of all time. Hmm. So yeah, no, I think it's going to, especially hearing about like, um, what it's like to like having like a work environment in the thing. And then, and then, yeah, like once all entertainment, like what I am really excited about is the idea of sports, like seeing like live sports in, in like a VR That's pretty interesting. world, like being able to like sit courtside at the next one, you know, through, through the VR on any game you want, like that sounds kind of insane, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and you can see how events and venues can see that as a new revenue channel. And so that just gives everyone access. Yep. If, if that means I don't have to spend $10,000 to let my kids watch the Taylor Swift concert, I'm, I'm all in. Oh man. On dude. That. Yes.
1: And you know, what's, what's also interesting is Roblox, uh, how, how much this thing has grown now? My kids, you know, they 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 make and they ship these these Roblox games, and like now like all these big brands are like advertising inside Roblox, like you could like like my younger one like made made like a McDonald's in in Roblox land. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, Look, th- and I was I was watching I was watching the NFL game the other day, and 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 they had on the TV screen like a QR code to scan some like you get some. I don't know some some Chiefs thing like in in Roblox like if you scan this thing I don't know what it was but like they're promoting this like on national television hmm. like it's such a weird world we're in now
0: yeah look the the metaverse is actually going to happen it's just a few years away it's not what everyone thought it was going to yeah. happen yeah. Uh, as evidenced by our boy Zuckerberg back on top <laughs> the the stock I price saw that headline today out yeah. of control it's 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 very interesting to see crazy all right dude it's Friday all right dude let's call it a day I got my wife's birthday coming up on birthday season my wife my daughter then Valentine's Day then myself then my other daughter it's things are crazy I'm just Beautiful. like I'm walking through a minefield of screwing up present expectations it's like a man <laughs> man's worst nightmare Where
1: Yeah, yeah man I'm uh I think I'm feeling good enough to get on this plane and go out to Colorado in two days and do another one of these big snows and uh I'm psyched man
0: yeah hope you get feel back got at
1: it see you. All right, later, folks.